Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh without further ado here's part two pretty good uh, strategy um, in hindsight right yeah. how, do, how does that work with the wife right so um you know money oh, is one of the biggest <laughs> conversations how, how does how did you i guess sell is probably the wrong word but how did you um get her to kind of believe in in your vision and obviously you put in a lot of work uh, to develop your mindset how did how did that work oh man dude this is such a funny topic because me and my wife just changed up our entire strategy of how money is uh fl- how money flows in our house so our household so uh, previously my wife just completely trusted me and i didn't need to run anything past her that was how we ran it before my wife didn't want to know she doesn't pay bills she doesn't know what things cost and that's totally fine she's happy with that and that was when things were going well. So I had stacked enough wins to have that trust. And uh, it just changed really fast. Like all of a sudden one flip needed 20 grand to finish. Uh, another flip lost 40. I paid that lender off, right? And then it was like nothing else ended up penciling. And yet we kept spending the same amount of money. And then all of a sudden I was like, hey, I, th- I think we're going to have to sell the Tesla. And uh, also uh, let's, let's stop getting as many coffees and going out every single weekend and and we're not going on vacation this year and she was like why do i have to change my lifestyle because you you (laughs) effed a bunch of stuff up and i was like "Mm, that's a fair point she's like fair question yeah (laughs) and you know like i think a lot i think prior to her kind of like giving that realistic like slap in the face like well well, you gave me this lifestyle now you want to take it away because you didn't manage something correctly i took a lot of offense to that at first to be honest i was like really upset but i was like I'm putting a Tesla up for sale tomorrow then if you're going to act like that, you know, but then I, I had to actually internalize it and realize that I could sit here and blame the market, but guess what, dude, there were people who saw it coming and they did the smart thing and they got out of their deals and I didn't. So like, I have to take ownership for the fact that this was actually completely avoidable and I didn't avoid it. And what am I going to learn from that? And how am I going to be better? So we didn't sell the Tesla. I just have to work harder. <laughs> so it's like the calluses on my ears for being on the phone all day. Uh, I do that so my wife can, can keep driving the, the fun car and we, and we don't have to change our lifestyle. And that's, I think it's worth it. Um, I needed to take ownership and that's kind of what that, that taught me. But now our rules have changed. I'm not allowed to just go invest in anything I want or spend anything I want or buy whatever cars I want. Now we make decisions together. And my wife says no to most things, which is probably a good thing at this given time. Yeah. So at some Sounds point you, you, you compromise, which means that she gets to make the decisions. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, let's, I, I don't know how deep you're willing to go on this, Noah, but maybe for the listeners, let, let's get a little bit of background on that because you, you gave a lot of, a lot of information. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from your story. So if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about what happened, because I mean, for the listeners, Noah got a little bit caught up in, in, in this market turn that we've had over the last six to eight to 12 months. Yeah. And uh, maybe tell a little bit of your story there. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a little bit of context. We were at a higher risk than most people to start with. Um, Boise had appreciated almost 20% a year for two years in a row. That's 40% appreciation in 48 months. That's insane, man. I mean, that basically means your house doubled. And it's true, it did. Uh, the first house I bought, I bought for $200,000. And by the way, when I bought that, it was the most expensive house on that street. I remember like the week before closing, walking up and down it. And I had like data where I could see how much everybody else paid for their houses. And I like was like pulling my hair out because I was like, I'm the dumbest person on this block, dude. No one has ever paid more money for this house. And uh, two years later, that house is worth 400 grand. It's not worth 400 grand anymore. The market is moving, right? But um, yeah, I guess, you know, we can go specific on a certain deal, but uh, that was some context on the market. So our market was kind of subject to changing just as fast as it had gone up. And it did. Um, the deals that I bought where they had smaller margins, which I was okay with because our game was volume, right? So I was like, okay, yeah, maybe we only make $45,000 on this house. It sounds like a great, it sounds like a, like a chunky amount of money to make. Like, I don't, I don't want to be unhumble and sound like that. That's not a lot of money. That is, but it's not a lot of money when the risk you're taking is $400,000, right? So it's like, we're making $45,000 on a $450,000 house, sometimes $500,000 house. That changes quick, man. I mean, you think about that. What the house drops 5% value, your entire profit margin has gone. It's gone. There's, there's, I mean, there's not, you're not making any money at that point. And that's pretty much what happened. So like a lot of these houses we bought when the market was continuing to go up and mind you, I don't ever buy off appreciation. So I, I, I wasn't buying saying, Oh, well, you know, the, the comps right now are five. It's probably going to work 525 when I'm done. And we didn't even do that. That's what's crazy. Um, but everybody froze up. So everything I bought from the start of 2022 through like the middle of the year of 2022 is when I stopped buying. Um, every single one of those deals, you know, we bought thinking the market was just fine and flatlined and they were all listed at the end of 2022. And what happened at the end of 2022 rates pretty much, you know, more than doubled, which means people's affordability, like what they could afford completely got slashed in half. And I got caught in the middle of that too. I'm living in one of the, the houses that originally we thought we were going to have a $3,000 a month payment on and that's a $4,000 a month payment. So I think a lot of flippers like. I think they forgot about the fact that buyers have to be able to afford the houses you're flipping. So like, where are you listing and can someone realistically afford to, to live there? Um, and now we've changed our strategies, right? So it's like, I'm flipping a house out in Coldwell. We capped, I capped the rehab budget to 25 grand. I said, it doesn't matter what we can or can't get done, but we got to make this house livable with 25 grand because people can't afford that home to be 350 grand. You can't, they can't afford the, the average salary cannot afford that mortgage payment, but they can afford a mortgage payment on a $285,000 house. So there's our list price, right? Um, I don't know if that answered the question or not, but yeah. We're seeing a ton of that in San Diego. Um, so uh, flippers who have developed very nice looking properties and now it's just cost prohibitive to actually take it down as a, as a you know, the, the elevated price point um, because the, the mortgage would be, you know, seven, eight grand um, to get a, get a note on it, which is kind yeah. of crazy. Super crazy. I've seen something creative. Um, there's a lot of people who flip houses like I do where they do it. First position debt is a hard money lender. Second position debt is a private money lender. Well, the private money lenders are used to lending out money. That's that's the essence of their business if that's what they're doing, right? Or it's a part of their business or investment strategy. Well, instead of taking a loss, I've seen some of these private money lenders, but um, none of mine have, have done this, but some of them I've seen um, take a second position and continue the second position after the home has been sold in the form of a, they're, they're basically becoming an owner carry to the new owner occupant. 
So that owner occupant brings less money down. If the interest on the second carry loan is less than what the bank is offering, they actually end up with a smaller payment. Smaller payment means what? They can actually afford to pay more for the house, which means everybody's usually getting out free and clear. So um, that's an interesting strategy I've seen some people deploy, uh, and I've seen I've seen them have su- some success with it. I've not heard of that one. That's that, that's interesting. I, I think that it's funny when because these Michael's these market cycles are normal. They're painful, but they're normal. And this is when you start seeing people think outside the box, you know. And so yep. invention's the necessity. What is that? How does that go? Invention is the mother of necessity. I don't know, something like that. But yeah, this yeah. is a pretty good example of that, you know. Um, so partnerships. I want to talk about partnerships a little bit. And I've I've talked on the show here that I've you know never, I haven't done it. I'm not opposed to it by any means. But but you have. And so maybe a, a few lessons, that, you know, uh, things for people to look out for whenever they're looking into doing any kind of a partnership. Because I know you've done a handful of these. Dude, uh, what, what would you give people for advice on partnerships? This part is going to be gold, man. This part is going to be gold. This is this we is like going to be worth. Yeah, I would say this. <laughs> the lessons I've learned, <laughs> man. Oh, man, I, I've actually really been contemplating writing a book on the right and wrong ways to do partnerships. And um, I'll give some context, man. I've lost. I mean, if I summarize the last two years due to partnerships, and and I can't blame them. It's due to me not understanding how to work with and manage partners, because when everything's going great easy for everyone to get around, uh, to get along. But the minute things go wrong and people are now worried about their individual families, integrity just, uh, unfortunately, I mean, you wouldn't think that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is, man. For most people, integrity is going to go right out the door. Um, and guess what? The sad part is you can't test your partners on, Hey, when, when shit's hitting the fan for real, like, are they going to stick to their guns? Are they going to stick to, you know, uh, doing the right thing, even when it's hard, you can't just test that up front. Um, and you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I mean, these are, I partnered with people that I'd known for years. Um, and when stuff went sideways, um, they all chose to protect themselves, right? So let's break that down into a, a few ways to, to set them up properly. One, I don't care if it's your mother, brother, your best friend, your grandma. You have to have an operating agreement when you start. And in your operating agreement, you have to spell out what's the exit. What happens if so-and-so passes away? How do I deal with their spouse? What happens if so-and-so doesn't have the money required to put in 50% since we're equal partners? You have to spell those things out. And guess what? If, you're not, if you guys aren't willing to have those uncomfortable uh, conversations up front, then you shouldn't be doing business together. You have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. You have to spell out who's responsible for what, right? So let's say me and Kyle go do a deal. If me and Kyle go do a deal, you know, we're going to lay out, okay, Noah, you're responsible for all the operations. If Kyle has to step into operations because you're failing to, your your percentage on the cash flow or whatever, I mean, it's all negotiable, right? But maybe my cash flow needs to go to zero until I step back up and do that again. And on the other end, if Kyle's supposed to fund the deal and he don't bring the right amount of funding or we're, we're doing some gap funding and maybe we've got to fund a couple months, if Kyle can't fund it and I got to do it, something needs to change on, on Kyle's return, right? Those are super uncomfortable conversations to have, but you got to do it because it's easier to come to terms with each other when things are before things get bad. Um, the other thing I've learned is like what you put, what you put on paper and what you sign, it, it doesn't always matter. At the end of the day, they still got to do the right thing. Cause if they don't, what's the alternative? You got to take them to court. And unless it's, unless the losses or the damage is big enough to be worth doing that, most of the time you're not going to do that. I had a handful of small losses that it was like on paper, we were supposed to share the loss 50, 50. We owed somebody money. 
I refuse to just not pay somebody back if I owe somebody money. That's like, you know, it's just, I'm going to be doing this for a long time. That's integrity. Yeah. And I'm going to do this for the, I want to do this for the next 40 years. If I burn somebody now, how many opportunities am I giving up in the future? Probably a lot more than this one. Probably a lot. It's probably worth a lot more to just pay that person back than to short them. Mm -hmm. Well, not everybody has that opinion, right? So I have a loss with an individual where I'm covering 60% of the loss. I got them to agree to 40. Is that fair to me? No, it should be 50, 50. We signed a document saying 50, 50, but you know, at the end of the day, like we got to do what we got to do. And I'm going to make sure that guy gets his money back. And that was the only way I can make sure he got his money back. So, but on paper it was 50, 50. So you just got to be aware that like, just because you sign something doesn't mean it's the way it goes. You got to plan for things to go wrong because they do. And here's the other, here's the other coin I'll share with this though. Partnerships are rocket fuel when you're paired upright. So I would not have grown as fast as I did had I not taken on partnerships. There's no way. I had no experience rehabbing houses. I had a natural uh, skill set that I worked really hard to develop even further to sell, to negotiate, and to find money. Those are things that I, I could do somewhat well, and I just worked really hard to become even better at them. And so I picked a partner that was good at rehabbing houses. And we went from zero to like 20 houses at a time within like, you know, an 18 month period. Like that's crazy. So when done right, dude, partnerships are awesome. And even though I've been burned in partnerships, I'll still do partnerships because I love winning and I love growing with other people. That's so much fun. It's, it's way better than doing it by yourself. In my opinion. I I love that. I think that's, that's sage like advice and a hard lesson learned, right? It's um, yeah. Getting on um, and figuring that piece out in terms of um, in terms of funding and kind of, building that i guess that kind of war chest and and building that funding kind of route what what did that what does that look like and i guess what did it look like and what are you doing kind of differently now or what would you do differently now yeah you're talking about the private like raising private money essentially Uh, yeah pretty much but but kind of the whole piece right there's some creative strategies we've already hit on uh in terms of like the second position kind of exit strategy those kind of pieces are really interesting yeah, so I like primarily right now because I'm not going to do any more single family flips. Um, you know, there, there's there's a part of me that maybe I'll start up another flipping company out of state in a in a state where the purchase for the average medium like home price is below 300 grand. I feel like that's still safe, um, but I'm not going to flip here in Idaho anymore. But on the stuff I am looking to buy, which is like boutique motels and larger commercial assets, um, I am strictly going after seller financing on those. Partially, that's probably because I don't necessarily I don't necessarily have a great fundamental understanding of larger commercial loans. Like Kyle's someone that's always like blown me away with the commercial loans he structured. Um, you know, I even tried to call like one of Kyle's lenders and I'm like, "Will you fund this random deal over in India?" And they're like, "Bro, who are you? Why did Kyle give you our number?" Even they, did the right they did not. They didn't. No, suck. they didn't say that. <laughs> but like, you know, just because of my lack of understanding of that. Um, I'm pushing myself to do seller carries because that's something I do understand. I can, if I can negotiate the rate and I can fit that into the deal and I can look at it on the conservative side of, am I going to make money even if things go wrong with the seller note, then that's something, you know, I'm, I would take down. Thank you for listening to this episode of Investories podcast. And uh, as you can imagine, we're super stoked with that content, amazing strategies, amazing techniques um, that we've really been able to dig into. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that, which is really all about uh, the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same. We're going to call it Wednesday Wins. 
and we're going to tackle that on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.